In the summer of 2004, my wife Amy and I got baptized, and she later told me when we came out of the water that God told her, get ready, you're, you're really going to start on this incredible adventure. So six months later, Amy and I found ourselves in this tiny little fishing village in Honduras called Amoa at an all-girls orphanage that we were serving there on our first mission trip. And I got to go there the very first day we were there and meet all the girls, and they're just unbelievable. It's probably 30 girls ranging from four years old all the way up to 17. And so I fell in love with the girls. And then for three days, Amy worked in the orphanage, and I worked somewhere else apart from that. And when we came back together at the orphanage for the next time, Amy said to me, I have fallen in love with a few of these girls. Amazingly enough, I named the girls. We felt like God was calling us to these three girls. And so all that trip, we kept praying. We prayed with our team, and we felt for sure that the Lord was leading us this way. So then we fly home, and and the closer we get to home, we're thinking, what are we doing? We are nuts. We had a lot of things happen before our trip that put us into real hardship financially. We had no money to our name. I'm not kidding. We probably had maybe $1,000, $2,000 to our name. They're telling us it's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars to adopt these three girls, and we have no way of knowing how that's going to happen. But we kept pushing forward, and there's a few things that happened when we got home that just led us down the path, and we started the process. And so we got to the spring of 2008, and I came home one day and opened up the mail. It was a big package, opened it up, And inside the package, as I pulled it out, was just a big stamp on our adoption paperwork that said denied. The United States government had denied our adoption. And I just remember being filled with sadness and fear and everything else. And I called my wife and I'm like, you are not going to believe this. The United States government has denied our adoption because it's taken too long. And she's like, no, they didn't. There's no way. And I'm just like, Amy, I'm telling you, I'm looking right at it. I'm looking with my own eyes. I see it. They've denied our adoption. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Danny, there's no way God would have brought us this far to deny this adoption. It's not true, Danny. It's not true. And so we really wrestled with that for several weeks. We decided to take our two boys out uh, for a long vacation. We had never taken a family vacation. And so we took a two-week vacation in June of that year. When we came back, a couple weeks later, we got a phone call, a phone call from our lawyer, Vanessa, in Honduras, and she was all excited. She's like, you're never going to believe it. Guess what? The Honduran government has approved your adoption. They're ready to go. You just need to fly down and adopt your daughters. And we hung up the phone and looked at each other and like, are you kidding me? So now Honduras has said yes, and the United States has said no. And we had no idea what to do. And we prayed and we talked And we both felt like God was saying, listen, I asked you to adopt these girls. I'm asking you to keep your promise. Go and do what I asked you to do. You promised them you'd adopt them and make them your daughters. Go. Man, what a pivotal moment in our life. So we're crazy, man. We were like, let's go. And we bought our tickets. August of that year, our two boys, Amy and I, flew down to Honduras to adopt our girls, having no idea how we were going to get them home. And so we got there, and we got to the capital of Honduras, Tegucigalpa. We were in the judges' chambers, and all of this paperwork was happening, and they have to speak everything out. And so they're speaking it out. They can't say our last name. They're just saying... Amy and Danny Gooks. And they would say our name really funny each time we'd laugh. And then they would give us the paperwork and we'd have to sign it. Each time we signed, we just looked at each other knowing we don't know what's going to happen. So we signed it all. 
here's our three daughters and our two boys. And Vanessa says, hey, why don't you go stand over there and get a picture taken? And so we take that picture. And that moment symbolizes such faith because only Amy and I knew in that moment. We had no idea how our girls were ever going to get home. And so after that picture was taken, we went to our lawyer and we said, hey, Vanessa, we got to let you know something. We have no way to get our daughters home. The United States government has denied our adoption. And she's like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Why did you do that? And we was like, well, God told us to do it, so we're doing it. And so we left. We got in our hotel room, and Amy and I started talking and praying. And we're saying, what's our plan? And so we decided that Amy was going to stay there with our daughters because I couldn't stay there as an American male with three Honduran girls in a hotel room. So Amy stayed there with them. And I took the two boys, our two boys, and took them home and got them in school. And for two and a half months, we kept kind of fighting from both ends on how to get the girls home. And Amy was working on the Honduran end. I was working on the U.S. government side. And I had made some connections with some government officials here. Amy was working on that side, but we had no idea what was happening. And by late October, tensions were high. We were frustrated. Nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, Amy called and says, you're never going to believe it. But we're approved. We have three visas. We're coming home. November 2nd, we're coming home. Gosh, we still to this day do not know exactly how that happened. We really believe it was just absolutely a miracle. And the image that I have in my mind is my youngest son. He was probably six years old. And he's kneeling at the airport in front of these glass doors. And the escalator is going up. And he's kneeling there as a little kid, waiting for his mom and his new sisters to come. And he stayed there, I'm not kidding you, for about a half an hour. He just knelt and looked at that escalator waiting for them. And when they came down that escalator, the joy on his face. And I thought, that's faith. That's the image of faith that's burned into my mind. Kneeling, looking up, and waiting. And sometimes that's what we have to do. And I'll never forget that moment when we had no idea what God was going to do. We couldn't see what he was doing but he had a plan far beyond what we can imagine. Yeah, what an amazing story of, of just faith. What a journey that they've been on. And it's a journey um, that, as Danny talks about, they've just seen God show up time after time after time. And, and I want to just say this. I want to talk a little bit about where stories like that come from. When you step out in faith and you follow God into the unknown, that's the only times God shows up like he shows up in that story. That's the only time that God shows up out of nowhere to just take care of what he's promised that he would do. And just imagine if he would have said no to the nudge to adopt those girls. Uh, imagine if they would have just kind of looked logically at it, run the numbers and just said, hey, you know uh, counted the cost and said, hey, we, we, can't, we can't do this. We're not willing to turn our lives upside down. We're not willing to take the risk. They would not have a story like that. And so I want to use their story as a jumping off point to talk about faith. Because whether you're a Christian or, you're, or not, you're just checking out this whole God and Jesus thing. I want you to imagine your life. I want you to just take a moment and I want, I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you had perfect confidence. I mean absolute perfect confidence, absolute assurance in three things. If you had absolute assurance... First of all, that there was a God. Absolute assurance, perfect confidence that there is a God. Secondly, that, that he's a personal God and he knows your name. 
And thirdly, that he's a personal God that knows your name, that has promised to walk beside you every single day, has promised to never leave you nor forsake you and to see you through, over, and around everything that comes your way. Imagine if you had that kind of faith. The kind of faith when, that when things got really, really bad, you just went, you know what, you know what, I'm not in control. There's nothing I can do about this right now. I'm just going to trust God that God is going to see me through this. The kind of faith that says, you know, when you're facing a huge temptation and everything inside of you wants to, wants to give in, that says, God, you know what, I know you are bigger than my temptation. I'm going to trust you that you'll still take care of my needs and you're going to see me through this. So I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to actually go your way and just trust that you know what you're doing. The kind of faith um, that's, that when something really great happens, the kind of things that kind of blow people off course a little bit, um, you know, where you come into way, way, way too much money and, uh, and that has a tendency to kind of blow you off course and, and change you or it's like she's way out of your league and like she's calling you, you know, that kind of thing where you're just going, whoa, that's a little bit more than I was expecting or, you know, he's still into you and he's way out of your league but he's into you, um, you know, the promotion to boss at work out of the blue and, uh, you know, it, it's the faith to kind of go rather than let that change you to just go, you know what, God, I believe you brought this my way. And you brought it my way for a purpose, and you're going to see me through this, and you're not going to let this change me, and I'm not going to change. Um, what if you had the kind of faith that no matter what God asked you to do, even if it didn't make sense, even if it didn't work out the numbers on paper, and they didn't add up, and it, or it required a change in your lifestyle or comfort level, um, that you did it. You had the kind of faith that you just did it, trusting God that going his way is better than your way every single time. You couldn't see the outcome, but you just trusted trusted him and said, I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I'm going to do it. What if you had that kind of out of the box, no matter what, faith in God, that no matter what happened to you, he would take care of you and walk with you, whether things got worse and worse and worse or better and better and better. And you just said, you know what? I trust you, God. I'm just totally at peace. Imagine if you had that kind of faith. Imagine the kind of faith that you lived with no fear when bad things happen. Um, you know, it's just I'm trusting God. He's going to help me work it out. No anxiety. I'm not worried. I'm not in control anyways. I can't even control my next breath. I just have absolute perfect faith in God and his plan. I have no fear of failure um, because God is with you. Um, no fear about your kids. No fear about your, your, your career. No fear about your, your, your marriage. No fear because God's with you. Imagine, imagine having faith in God like that. And I'll just tell you this. When you see someone with that kind of faith, it's inspiring, isn't it? It's like, it's inspiring. When you see somebody with that kind of faith, I think it's one of the most inspiring things we witness in the human race because we see people and couples and families trusting God when it doesn't seem like it's wise to or, or why would anybody why would anybody go to Honduras to adopt girls, three girls, when they have no way to get them back to the United States? Why would anybody do that? It's inspiring to the point where I'm like going, I want to adopt girls from Honduras, man. Like, I don't I don't. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's be like them because it's inspiring. And I'm just like, you know, I don't, I don't know that that could ever work in my life. We just adopted a dog this weekend and it's like turned our life upside down, you know. It's like I don't think we can do that. But, but, but what, what if you had the kind of faith that if God said do that, you did it. You know how inspiring that is to see people walk lives of faith? It makes other people want to do the same thing. Imagine if you had that kind of faith. That's where God wants to take you. That's where God wants you to live your life. 
And when you read this book, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is a book of God trying to build unshakable faith into people. The unshakable, inspiring kind of faith into people. That's the story of the Bible. And it's the story that God wants to tell with your life and with my life and God's will for your life. You want to know what's God's will for my life? His desire, whether you are a follower of God or not. Because I know some of you haven't I haven't believed in Jesus yet. You're not, you're not sure if you're buying this whole God and Jesus thing. Whether you're a follower of his or not, what God's desire is for your life is to draw you into, keyword, a relationship with him that is built on absolute confidence and faith in him. That's what God wants for you. Imagine if you woke up every day with absolute trust in God. Everything about your life would be different. And I'll just say this, God wants to blow your faith up big. He wants you to have big faith, and I'll tell you why. Because at some point, he's going to invite you into the unknown. At some point, if you journey with God very long, he will invite you into the unknown, and it will come down to whether you trust him or not, whether you do that or not. And I will just tell you from experience, hearing hundreds of stories like Danny's over my lifetime, if you, expect, if you accept the invitation when God invites you, the way God will show up in your life will become a defining moment in your life. Because that's where defining moments show up when it comes to faith. It's when you take that step of faith and you don't know where you're going to land. It's like, you know, let me go a little old school. How many of you guys know um, Indiana Jones? Remember those movies? It's like when he has that, that bridge he's got to walk across and he can't see it and he's just got to jump and he takes that step and then he throws all the stones and there was a bridge there all along. God's inviting us to defining moments like that all the time so that you can look back and go, that was a game changer. And so let's, I want to start by just digging in to faith. What is faith? Scripture describes it. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. And so I want to give you a little bit of homework. It's a rainy day. You're going to do nothing else anyway. So this is your homework this afternoon. I want you to grab your Bible or open your Bible app. And I want you to just read through Hebrews 11. Because when he says that is what the ancients were com commended for, Hebrews 11 goes on to list dozens and dozens and dozens of ancients that followed God into crazy situations and doings, and in doing so revealed amazing faith where God showed up. And these stories are in the Bible because they were willing to take that step. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Noah, Sarah, Rahab, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon. The list goes on and on and on. By faith, these men and women, they did things on God's behalf because they heard the call of God and they were willing to take the steps. That, that God was asking them to take. They lived with absolute assurance and trust in God. And God's power and provision were revealed. And so the question I want to talk about with you is how do you and I get from where we're at in our faith journey with God to where these people listed in Hebrews 11 are at in their faith with God? And you're going, well, you know, those guys, well, they're, they're in the Bible. I mean, you can't be like them. What if I were to tell you, yes, you can well, I mean, I, I won't end up in a book like that someday. Why not? Okay, God's done writing the Bible, so let me take that out, okay? Bad, bad analogy. Okay, let's move on. No, it's one of those things. Well, here's what these people did. Because we tend to kind of put them up on this pedestal and say, oh my gosh, look at what they did. We could never be that way. Let's try and just be a little bit like them. No, all they did was when God asked them to do something, you know what they said? Yes. 
That's what they said. Yes. God gave them an invitation that required faith. What did they say? Yes, I can't see the outcome, but I'm just going to trust you, God. And God showed up in powerful ways. And so, so, so here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to I use a story from the book of Mark where Jesus is with his disciples. And uh, Jesus, just so you know, Jesus had started his public ministry at the age of 30. By the age of 33, Jesus was, was crucified, um, resurrected from the dead, and ascended back into heaven. And he had three years to instill huge faith in his disciples. He had three years uh, to help them have confidence in him so much that they would be willing to still follow him after he left and be still willing to, to change the world. And he was successful with 11 of them. As many of you know, Judas um, betrayed him. But there, it's, but but 11 of them really got that faith and it changed their life. It was defining moments they had with Jesus that altered the course of their lives, but also altered the course of our lives 2,000 years later. And so um, I want to I go to this, this uh, interaction in Mark 8 where they had frustrated Jesus. The disciples frustrated Jesus because of their lack of understanding and their lack of faith. And Jesus asked them a series of questions in that interaction um, right in a row. It was like boom, 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 kind of like, like bullet points. Um, he asked them three questions in a row um, that I believe and I, and I want to use to point to how do you and I have big faith? If God wants us to have the kind of faith where every day we wake up and we just have absolute trust and assurance in him, how do we get to having that kind of faith? I think we find it in the questions that Jesus asked the disciples in this interaction. And uh, th this story is called the feeding of the 4,000. Maybe you've heard of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus, earlier than this story, had actually fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, which actually ended up being about 16 to 20,000 people that he fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, the disciples witnessed the miracle firsthand. And why I say that is because it said there were 5,000 men that were fed. Well, they had wives and children and servants. And so we kind of can, can, can bump that number up. So Jesus does this incredible miracle. A short time later, um, Jesus is teaching a crowd of 12 to, to 16,000 people. 4,000 men is what the Bible says. And after three days, everyone had run out of food. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, we can't send everybody home hungry. We need to feed them. And here's their response. And this is where I'd like to keep in mind that Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of fish and two breads. Um, and this is, this is why we sometimes say that this, the disciples were kind of morons. And I know, like, you shouldn't talk that way about Bible people, but I don't know. I'm just keeping it real, okay? That's what I think sometimes. Jesus says we need to feed them. And here is their response, Mark 8, verse 4. His disciples replied... How are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Okay, they, they, they actually asked Jesus that question. And I, I think there's two ways they might have asked this question. And if they were asking it seriously, I would have just said, Dude, seriously, you just saw him feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And here he says we need to feed people again. And you're going, how are we going to do that? I, I think I would have said that. I would have said that out loud. I would have just, you're kidding me. And so I, that's one way they could have asked it. But I think maybe, maybe, maybe they were asking the question kind of this way. Maybe, maybe they were kind of going, oh, I don't know. How are we going to feed this many people? We don't have any food. Wink, wink, hint, hint. You know, just kind of that, hey, guys, I think it's going to happen again. You know, I don't know how they asked the question. But you kind of find out they were seriously asking this question when you find out what happens later. But here's what happens, okay? They asked Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? In verse 5, Jesus asked, responds with a question, well, how much bread do you have? 
Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day. And Jesus sent them home after they had, had eaten. And it's like Jesus had done it again, right? They were in there. How are we going to do this? Jesus provides. And this is another one of those stories that I'm like, I'm going to watch this on YouTube when I get to heaven. I'm like, Jesus, I got to see this story, man. Like I read about it. Show me how this worked. Um, so, so what happens from there is uh, they actually leave. The people go home. They get in a boat to go across to another town. When they get to that town, the religious leaders start an argument with Jesus. And so he's like, I don't want to sit here and argue with you. So they get back in the boat to go back across the lake. And then this happens. And this is kind of where we're going to get three questions that Jesus asked that I want to highlight today in regards to our faith. Um, on, in verse 14, they get in the boat. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, which, which you know, many scholars think what Jesus is saying is watch out for the wrong and false teachings of the Pharisees and King Herod. Um, and that's what he's talking about. But the disciples hear yeast, and again, not being the smartest guys, they hear yeast and they start thinking he's talking about bread. So what they do in response, verse 16, as this... They begin to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So an argument breaks out. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And then he walks them down memory lane. And I love this. He goes, okay, go with me here, guys. Okay, this is like, let's huddle up. Go with me. When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread. I, you know, I forgot. How many baskets of leftovers were there? And I could see one of the disciples going, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. So you can answer. It's like, 12, 12, 12. Right answer, good. And then he goes on. He's like, and when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large basketfuls did we pick up afterwards? Okay, go ahead. Seven, seven, seven. I remember I counted them seven. You're right. And then Jesus says, don't you understand yet? And I'll just tell you, the questions that Jesus asks in this chapter, I believe, are incredibly important to you and I. They're significant in this moment for the disciples. Because, again, what's he trying to do? Instill in them faith. The kind of faith that will last the rest of their lifetimes and the kind of faith he wants to instill in us. And so I want to I bring three of those questions kind of out of the text. If you're wondering how God can grow your faith, if you're wondering how God can grow our faith, how God might use you to step out in faith and be used by him, you're going to find answers in these three questions. And the first one that Jesus asks is up as at, at the top of the story, where he, asks, he basically is asking, what do you have in your hand? This comes from the beginning when Jesus says, hey, we need to feed. And the disciples go, how are you going to do that? And Jesus starts with just going, well, how many loaves you got? How many loaves you got? What did he start with? What they already 
had God in our faith journey so many times wants to just asks us to give him what we have. We're not responsible for how he uses it or how he increases it. He's just simply asking us, what do you have in your hands right now so that he can take it and multiply it? And what's really amazing when you get to Danny and Amy's story, and I was in a meeting this last week on, on video um, where Danny was talking about his story, um, and, and this is what he said about what do you have in your hand. He's like, he's like, the only thing we had, the only thing we had in our hands was a desire to follow God's direction, um, a bit of extra space in our home, a lot of stupidity, and no money. Like, that's the way he put it. He's like, we were really dumb, and we had no money because we were broke. Um, they estimated it would cost $90,000 to adopt these girls. And what had happened is they had saved up, they had a bunch of money saved up just from being frugal over their life. But their house actually during this whole time had begun to sink into the ground. And they had to take all of their extra funds to fix their house so that it wouldn't sink in the ground anymore. And, uh, and it, was, it cost everything they, they, they had. And so they had no idea how they were going to get these girls back home and afford $90,000 to adopt them. And then stories like the one I'm about to tell you started happening to them. Because obedience always precedes blessing. Let me just say that again. Obedience always precedes blessing. You don't get blessed and then you obey. You obey and then you get blessed. Danny and, and Amy are just willing to do what God said. They actually, they, they get home after deciding to do this and meeting with the girls and getting the whole process started. When they showed up at home, they, they called to get a home study uh, started. Which if you've ever adopted a child, they have, the social services comes in and they have, to, they have to evaluate your home, your life, your, your, the way you interact with your family, everything about you and they found out that week that they got back that the cost was $1,300 and they literally looked at each other and said, we can't even afford the home study. How are we going to do this? Well, the very next day, and I love this story, a check shows up in the mail um, and they open it up and it's from this company and they have no idea where it's, where it's coming from and they make a phone call to this company and the company says, um, tells them the story. Um, Amy, two, three months prior to that, had dropped her business card in a bowl that was a drawing for a cruise. And uh, they had won the cruise. They had picked her name out of the, of the bowl and they had called while they were gone to give them the cruise and they got no answer from them. So they just decided to send a check for the equivalent of what the cruise would have cost. And let me just ask you, guess how much the cruise was worth? Just under $1,300. Just over $1,300. What did they need to get that home study done? 1300 bucks. And they just said, oh, my God, you just gave us exactly what we needed to do what you're asking us to do. And, and if you hear their full story, it is just moment after moment where God provided to just the right time. At just the nick of time, God provided. He brought the right people, the right, the, the right finances in, in, into play. And he just says, what did, what did we have in our hands? All they had in their hands was, was willing hearts and a loving home to offer to God. And God gave three Honduran girls a forever home. One of the things we can do to grow our faith is simply offer God what we already have in our hands. Nothing more, nothing less. It just here's what I have. 
Because we are the kind of people that we like to run the numbers and see how much stuff's going to cost and make sure that we have everything in place so that we can move forward and live our lives the way we want to live them. When really, um, that's not the way faith works. It's like Jesus is just saying how much you got. And we're like, well, we've got to feed all these multitudes, but all I got is, is, is seven, you know, seven loaves of bread and, and, and a couple of fish. That's all I have. And God says, that'll be enough. I can work with that. So the question for us is, what do you have in your hand? What, what giftedness do you already have that God's given to you, that he placed in, in you at birth, that he's asking you to give to him? Maybe all you have is a loving heart and an open home and a willingness to adopt or foster a child. Maybe it's giving him your faith, actually putting your faith in him for the first time. It's like he's asking for what's already in your hand. I have my faith. I'm going to give it to you for the first time, Jesus, and I'm just going to trust you. Maybe it's room in your house, a room in your house for someone in need. Maybe it's some of your financial resources that God is asking you to give him for the purposes of growing and reaching um, people for Christ and growing the church. Maybe it's an hour or two on a weekend to serve somewhere in our church. What do you already have in your hand? Because when you offer what you already have in your hand for God's purposes, he takes it and he multiplies it. And miracles begin to happen, not just in your life, but in lives of the other people, of other people as well. And so I want to take a moment and I'm going to ask you to um, write some things down. And so I don't know if you grabbed a program and a pen um, or you want to take out your phone. You have a note section. I want to just take 30 seconds and I'm going to just pause. I'm just not going to talk. If you need a pen, raise your hand. Because I really think this is a moment where God might speak directly to you. And I want to ask you a question to think about over the next 30 seconds. And that question is this. What do you already have in your hand right now? that God is asking you to offer him? What do you have in your hand right now that God is asking you to offer him for his purposes? And I want you to just think about that and listen to God's voice in this moment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to process through that. What do you have in your hand right now that God's asking you to offer him? All right, second question I want to bring up that Jesus asked the disciples in this moment <clears throat> is he asked them, what do you have in your heart? What do you have in your heart? And you find that in verse 17 where Jesus says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? very important question to faith. I think Jesus in this moment is literally beside himself. I think he's saying, hold on a second. I just did what I just did, and you're wondering where bread's going to come from when I'm sitting right here in the boat with you? Can't you just ask me? Like, I'm here. Give me a speck of dust. I'll turn it into a smorgasbord. I think he's just saying, I'm right here. What is wrong with you? Is your heart hardened? Why would Jesus, in a discussion about bread, ask them about their hearts and the state of their hearts. I think he's giving us a glimpse into what blocks us from having faith in Jesus, what keeps us from trusting God, and it's a hardened heart. 
Now, what hardens our heart? It's when we allow this question, what do you have in your heart? It's uh, our, our hearts hard when we allow bitterness into our heart, when we allow unforgiveness, or we allow hurt or greed or pride or sin to dwell in our hearts. It hardens them towards God. What is Jesus teaching the disciples in this moment? He's just saying, if your hearts get hardened to me by what you've allowed into it, you will have a really hard time trusting me for provision. You'll have a really hard time asking me for what, you're, what you need when I'm right beside you and can provide everything you need. You'll have a really hard time seeing me as the answer. And what you see happening in there is they start arguing amongst themselves. I'm sure, some, I'm sure they're blaming each other. I didn't get the bread. Why didn't you get the bread? Well, where was the bread? It wasn't my job to get the bread. You could just see them. They're arguing about bread when Jesus is sitting right there rather than just going, Jesus, one more time, sorry. You know, like, can you just do your thing? You know, I, th- he's there. And I think he's just revealing that if your heart gets hardened towards him by what you've allowed into it, he can't grow your faith. You'll never step out in faith because you won't see him as the answer. And so we're going to go to our second question that I have for you, and I want you to take some time and just write it out. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And I want to just ask, what are you holding in your heart that you need to surrender to God? What bitterness, what sorrow, what anger, what sin, what unforgiveness, what hurt? Maybe it's unbelief that you're holding in your heart that maybe this morning God is asking you to surrender it to him because it is blocking you from waking up tomorrow morning and having trust and faith in God. So what are you holding in your heart that you need to surrender to God this morning? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just hear from God and write it down. All right, I have one more question, and um, before I get to it, I'm going to have the ushers come down, and we're going to receive our offering right now. Um, before we get into this third um, question and why we, how we want to end the service, uh, offering doesn't fit there. So um, let me just say this. For those of you that call Kensington home, um, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with, and we say thank you. Um, it is a moment of faith and trust where we're saying, I believe you, God, for my financial future, so I'm willing to give back to you some of what you've given to me. Um, for those of you that give online, thank you for that. Um, and then for those of you that are visiting today, um, this is your first time or two here. Um, you guys can go ahead and come on down and, uh, and get started. But if that's you this morning, um, I just want to say let the basket go by. No pressure in this moment. This service is our gift to you. Um, I don't want you to feel any pressure to give something, um, you know, at, at this, in this time. We just are glad you're here. And so, um, so while they're doing that, I want to get into this third question that Jesus is asking the disciples and he's asking us when it comes to faith. And that is this question, what do you hold in your mind? So again, we, we, we started with, um, what was the first question? What do you have in your Okay, we'll do the, we're good. We got this. There's a couple of you that were paying attention. Okay, back here. Okay. Um, first question, what do you have in your? Second question, what do you have in your? And the third question is, what do you hold in your mind? What do you hold in your mind? 
And this question is all about remembering the times in your life that God has already shown up. And you see it in Mark 8:18. Mark 8, Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? One of the most powerful weapons we have in our faith journey is our memory of the times that God has already provided for us. He's already healed us. He's held us in the past. He's loved us. He was generous and kind and faithful to us in the past. That's why I love this question. Jesus is going, don't you remember? And then he reminds them. How many, how many basketfuls at the 5,000? 12. How many basketfuls at the 4,000? Seven. Do you remember what I have done? And I'll just be honest with you, this is where I go to when I struggle with faith. Because you're like, oh, well, you're a pastor, you never struggle, never, never struggle with faith. Yes, I do. When God asks me to do things or we're going into areas that I'm like, I don't know about that. You know where I go? My go-to is to go back on the moments in my life where God has already proven faithful. And I go all the way back to, oh, yeah, that's right. And when I was a teenager, you showed up and you did this. And when I, was, when I was in my 20s, you did this. In college, this is what happened. And you showed up. And then after college, when I was wondering what to do with my life, you brought me this amazing girl that I'm still married to. We have four kids. She's hot. It's awesome. Um, and so I'm like, you got this amazing marriage. I remember I'm, you were in that decision. And then, you know, we, we lived in Michigan. And you called us down to Florida. I just go through my life. And I look back and I just remember how faithful God has been to me. When Jesus asked the disciples, don't you remember? He's saying, don't you remember what I've done? You don't think I can do that in the future? Don't you remember how I've showed up in your life? You don't think I can show up like that tomorrow? In the Old Testament, God instructs the Israelites after he does amazing things. He says, build a monument there. When you build that monument, I want you to tell your kids that that monument's there because I showed up and I rescued you. And I want them to know that I'm their God too. And it was a way of remembering. And so the, the question that comes to mind and is when it comes to your life and your faith, I want you to take 30 seconds and let, and let you think and write down on what moment or moments does God want you to remember right now of his faithfulness in the past? What moment or moments does God want you to remember right now of his faithfulness in the past? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just write that down or process through and look back and go, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember. All right, um, I want to pray for you in just a minute. And I want to pray for you that this week you would look at that piece of paper wherever you wrote those notes and that you would sit down and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? How do we do this journey thing where my faith grows? So let me pray over you. Jesus, I thank you for this morning and for these moments where we learn from what interactions you had in Scripture that really give us an idea of who you are and what you dream for our lives. And Lord, I pray right now that 
for those of us in the room right now that are just struggling in our faith, struggling to trust you, God, I pray that you would just um, speak to each one of us in this room. Lord, those in this room that don't have faith in you yet and you're asking them to put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to just give them, give you their faith right now. That they might walk this journey with you for the rest of their lives. Lord, for those of us in here that have just harbored things in our heart and we're holding things in our heart that are keeping us from seeing how trustworthy and faithful you've been and want to be and the things that you're calling us to, God, I pray that you would just help us to, to surrender those to you. And God, I pray over the next few moments that you would just remind us of your goodness in our past and point us towards your goodness in the future. In your holy name, amen. So over the next few minutes, I just want to invite you to do business with God and, and work through those three questions and just talk to him. You know, prayer is something that is kind of a private thing for, for most of us where we just kind of have moments with God. And as the band plays this next song, it really is about God's faithfulness in, in that what he's done, how he's proven faithful to you, he'll do it again. And um, a few, few minutes into the song, they're going to invite you to stand up. And we, I just want to invite you to sing this song out loud from your heart to God as a reminder of who he is and how much he loves you. Um, but I want to just, I want you to take the next couple minutes. And this is just time for you and God to talk.